hello and welcome to the Spring and Equestrian podcast. This is season four of the podcast and I'm your host, Jessica Parr. I'm a professional rider and trainer in Ontario, Canada, and you can find and follow us at Spring and Act on Instagram or www.springandact.com is our website. This podcast is meant to help you build your skills and confidence as a rider and also your relationship with your horse. I hope that some of these episodes can help you navigate the industry and just bring you a little bit of advice and inspiration when it comes to all things equestrian. So I hope that you can sit back and relax and enjoy the show. In today's episode, I got the chance to talk with Sarah Johnstone of Wingberry Farm. She's the head trainer there. I've actually followed Sarah for a while. She has a really decorated junior career as a rider in the equitations and the jumpers. Um, she's also went to Europe and worked at a sales barn. I'm sure you guys know which sales barn I'm talking about, but we had a chance to talk today about a lot of different things, um, training young horses, listening to the horses, rider fitness fitness and how important it is, um, the types of environment she likes to have the horses in, exercises from uh, trainers that she's worked with, such as Beth Underhill and John Madden that she uses in her day-to-day, you know, how COVID has changed their training schedule and all that kind of stuff. There's a bunch of really good discussion. I am so glad that I had her on. I'm sure you guys will love her advice. There was a lot of valuable information in this episode, so I won't keep you any longer, but I hope you enjoy. And if you do, please share it with someone that you think would like to listen to it or share it on Instagram and let me know your feedback. I would love to hear it, and I will let you get into this episode. Why don't you just tell everybody how you initially got involved with horses and your experience coming up in the sport? It's my understanding that you had quite an extensive junior career as well, so I'd love to hear about that, some of your experience under different trainers. So there's all sorts of stuff there. If you want to give us an overview and take your time walking through it, that would be wonderful. I will for sure. So I got into riding because my mom used to ride when she was younger, kind of took me to a farm, I think when I was three years old and introduced me to horses and I absolutely loved it. So I was lucky that she also, you know, loved horses. So she did encourage me to, if I, if I wanted to, you know, ride or go to a barn, she was always big on that. So I started taking lessons like many people did at Leechcroft, um, which was Barb Mitchell's place uh, way back when. And Barb was uh, moving facilities and she suggested in the meantime that I go take lessons at Country Mile, which was Penny and Sam Murray at the time. And I went to take lessons there and I just fell in love with them. I rode there for years. I still think they're two probably the most uh, influential people to me to this day. Uh, Great people, real horsewomen. So I was there for a long time. And then at one point, Penny said, hey, listen, you know, I think you kind of need to take the next step. And that's when I started working with Jay and Lauren Hayes. And I was there, worked with them for about 10 years. Uh, Absolutely loved Same thing, such horse people. They introduced me. I got to go a lot of cool places, Bruce Meadows. That's when I started to go to Florida, uh, worked hand in hand with them. Uh, Still to this day, I do do a lot with them. And then I went to Stahl Hendricks, Paul and Emil Hendricks in Europe for, I believe it was about a year and a half. It was only, it was going to be shorter than that. But again, I (laughs) I loved it over there and uh, really um, embraced the kind of European experience. Um, And then when I came home from there, I was with Beth Underhill for uh, essentially two, two years. And again, I still work very close with Beth. She's a huge mentor to me and 
I mean, that it's Beth Underhill. So I think we, we, we all know <laughs> who she is. And through there, I then um, came to Wingberry and I'm now doing my own thing with my, uh, with my other trainer, Gabby, and uh, we're based in King City. So I'm pretty lucky. And I think there was some things that maybe you could elaborate on in terms of your junior career and what that looked like, as well as how you balance your academics growing up with all of the stuff you were doing with riding and would love if you could tell us about that as well. Yeah. So, um, I guess I'll start with my junior career. <laughs> I was, um, I was extremely lucky because my parents were very supportive emotionally. And if I wanted to pursue that they were huge on that financially I'm not in a spot they're not in a spot to be able to help me out but as far as support goes and and telling me to pursue things they're 100% behind that Um, but financially that was something that was always a strain like many people in this sport so I was very lucky I was always a working student for anybody you know for Penny for Jay uh, obviously most of my junior career was done um, through Jay and Lauren Hayes and I was I was so lucky with them because they I got to ride kind of everything and anything and Jay had a lot of sales horses and and I think uh, I was a hard worker and, and we were just, a, we, you know, Lauren, Jay and I, we were all a good match. So I would, that's how I got um, the ride on uh, Landor, which was my equitation course that I did in the CET. He was actually Jay's um, Grand Prix jumper and Jay kind of said, oh, you know what, I got to sell him. And I think maybe he's an equitation horse. And um, so he, we took him in, in Florida. I started doing him a little bit in the X, which was kind of new to me. I always did the you know, the simple X, but I had no idea at the time I was so green that there was, you know, the CT or the McClay or, or any of those equitations. Like I was really lucky to be able to have the chance to go to Florida and especially through working too, you know, it, it's such, you gain so much more experience by just being in the barn, like day in and day out, being at the horse shows for those long days. Yes, it's exhausting, but you learn so much more in leaps and bounds and I, I can't emphasize that enough for the kids, you know, watch the schooling areas. My favorite thing to do, um, especially when I was in Florida, and even now is I'll, I'll follow one rider through circuit, you know, one year it was Rodrigo Pessoa, and he would, uh, he'd have a bunch of, you know, he'd have a nice seven-year-old in the Grand Prix horse, and I'd be curious to see what classes he did those horses in from the start of circuit to the end of circuit, you know, the, the Grand Prix horse might have jumped the five-star the one week, and then the next week he's dropping it down, and he's doing it in a meter 30 and that was interesting for me to see you know what why why he would do that when he would change his tack when he would change his boots uh different type of warm-ups he would do um down to what he would the last jump he'd jump in the schooling area you know why is he doing a, a vertical with such a big ground line um he didn't do that in his last class and i think there's so much to gain um in that sense just at your fingertips like you're you know you're at the horse show you know you're you're running to the pavilion grab a water stop by and you've got these amazing riders at your fingertips you know like a Beth Underhill like an Ian Miller right in our backyard so I think they need to take advantage of that so I was lucky enough um of course to be in Florida exactly with that in my junior career and then uh, probably one of my favorite horses I ever rode and, I, and probably one that I did the the most on uh was the Starlet Mare and she, Jay put me on her one day and it was just, it was a match. And he, he let me run with it. He was like, you want to take your time with her? <laughs> she's she's kind of all yours. And it was probably a little bit the blind leading the blind because she was actually green and I was green. But uh, 
she just, yeah, I was patient with her and, and she ended up doing a lot of big things uh, for me, especially. And I was very lucky with that. And I was always dedicated to my schoolwork. Like horses, I absolutely love them. But at the end of the day, I'd come home and I do my school and, and it's time management. And I think I learned a lot about that through that, which life is time management, but so is especially the sport, right? You, you know, you, you have to a little bit learn what comes first and when there's a time to do this and that. So uh, the Hazes were always very supportive of that. They were really big on that. And even when I went to Europe, the Hendricks, they still allowed me to do some online university courses while I was there, which was, which was fun with the time change because I was doing a Canadian course, Canadian uh, university. Well, yeah. Then when I went to Europe, that was a whole new experience for me. And you, I had to, of course, go over there and be optimistic, but they had a lot of sales horses and it wasn't so much client-based. It was more so, you know, you've got to sell and you're showing every week, which I absolutely, I loved. And the way I looked at that experience was uh, I wanted to meet as many connections as I could, which I did. And also too, exactly like, what are people looking for in sales horses? Like the Hendricks have such an eye for whether it's a hunter, an equitation horse or a jumper and very specific. If a client comes in and says, this is kind of what we're looking for, you know, interesting they're pulling those five horses out to show them or that one horse particularly you know so it was you know why do they think these ones are going to be a good fit and I kept a journal while I was actually over there that stuff that happened every day um you know horses that I would ride the shows I would go to you know good day bad day as far as my riding goes uh you know it was incredible they had uh they have the auction that they have every year that's super successful and many horses have come out of that successful and you know, you'd see BZ Mad and Laura Kraut, these North American riders come over and try these horses that were, they're trying them as six-year-olds and now they're, they're, they're jumping in the nation's cups, you know, the Grand Prix, which is really neat for me to see, to say, I rode that one as a five-year-old, <laughs> which is pretty, uh, pretty awesome. Yeah. And then when I moved and ended up uh, working for, for Beth, I mean, she's a, she's such a, such a competitor, such a horsewoman and such a trainer, like so detailed in everything that she does. And that's something I took pride in really working for her and noticing that, you know, she never goes into anything unprepared, which I think says a lot. Sure. I mean, all of the the things that you're talking about, it's really inspiring for people who are actually considering some kind of profession in the sport. So thank you for that. Have you ever dealt with feeling imposter syndrome or lack of confidence going into the ring, doing something, maybe doing a big class that you haven't done before, or just letting your nerves get the best of you at times or feeling, you know, even comparison, being a young rider and, and showing in classes that you are kind of idolizing the people you're with. Do you want to speak a little bit on that and your personal experience? I would say, I would personally say every rider has their doubts and their fears. And, and if they, if they don't say that they do, then, then they're, they're, they're lying. You know, it might be different for everybody. I, I'm not, um, I'm not really personally a nervous person when it comes to riding. I love the competition. Like, you know, I, I, I love that feeling. I love the pressure. I really live for that. But of course, uh, every, every rider has doubts. You're like, oh, you know, I'm, <laughs> this horse, this is this class a little too green for, or is this horse, sorry, a little too green for this class? If it's never jumped on grass before and the ring's a little slick and the, the triple looks a little tricky for this youngster. And that's where you kind of, I think a little bit have to know when to push and pull. You know, there's a time to say, okay, as a rider, you know, I need to step up and 
this is the time and, and I need to push myself a little here as well as the horse, you know, they're at the stage that they're ready for this. So, you know, we got to see this or there's a time to say, you know what, not quite yet. We need to give it a little bit more time. So I, I'd say that, yes, I get anxious in the sense that uh, we want to do our best and we want to go out there and you, and you really want to prove, you know, to yourself or to others or to whoever it may be that you can do it. But at the end of the day, it's everyone has their ups and downs. Every single rider and horse has their ups and downs. That's the sport. I think it's it's very unpredictable as much as we'd like to say it's not, um, right? You, you can be perfectly prepared. Um, everything can be going your way. And sometimes, you know, luck isn't on your side. And then other times luck is on your side. So I would say uh, a great word of advice that Jay gave to me years ago was, we were running around and we were trying to get everything organized before class. And I was worried about getting, you know, the client horses to the ring. And I was about to do the, the Grand Prix at the uh, Ottawa Horse Show, which the Hayes ran. It was a good day, but at the end of the day, Jay pulled me aside and he said, you have to take two minutes before every class and just kind of detach yourself from what's going on. Right. He says, I know it's hard, but he says, you have to do it. And I've really taken that to heart that that's one thing that I try and do is that whether you're all jazzed up because you're running from one ring to the other, or you're excited or, or nervous is that I, I just try and take two seconds or two minutes. And, you know, you sit down in the golf cart before the course walk or, or whatever it might be, you know, you, you kind of get into your little habits, right. That you do to prepare yourself to go in the ring. And it might only be five minutes, but if you look around the Grand Prix ring before riders walk their courses, you'll see a lot of the, the big riders doing that. That's a, a good piece of advice because there's so much going on during that time too, where it's easy to get caught up in it and then just get on and have to go in. So let's just move on in and talk a little bit about you obviously do a lot of young horse development. That sounds like a lot of what you've been doing the last many years too. So I wanted to talk to you a little bit about that and your opinion. It's, it's kind of an open-ended question. Unfortunately, it's not overly specific, yeah. but let's just stay within the hunter jumper equitation realm and talk about some fundamental basics that you look for and also really like horses to build over time when they're young and they're green to be successful in any one of those three careers. So I would say with, with, with any horse, if I'm going to, a, lo a lot of the young horses that I've done have been brought uh, to me and people say, you know, can you ride this one? Can you bring it along? I would say that when I'm personally looking for a young horse, one of my favorite things to look for is, uh, is just good balance in their canter. They just have to, they have to be good. Their balance has to be good. You know, that gives them a better shot of obviously a better jump uh, staying sound I find you know things are a fluke but as a rider that's the feeling that I like uh, is a good balance and they they have to be willing you know they can be wild they can be fun they can be sassy but they still of course need to want to do the job they might not know how to bundle that energy up and put it in the right way but they have to want to do it so my big thing is when I'm training young horses I always start with straight and forward uh, that's my biggest thing. You know, they, they have to go, they have to go forward before you can ask them to go side to side or, or come back to you. You know, that's, that's always the biggest thing is that they have to go forward and that's going to create a positive experience for them, I find. And you have to make them feel good about themselves. You know what I mean? Like they have to be brave. And a lot of the time when I'm training the youngsters, I like, I like to make them brave, not, not at all jumping big jumps, but you know, uh, 
taking them out in, into a field and letting them canter around that field and, and getting that feeling of walking into an open space and realizing, you know, okay, I can do this. Let them puff up a little bit and feel good about themselves. So that when you enter the Grand Prix ring, wherever it might be, and you cross into that in gate, they don't get in there and think, oh, this is surprising, right? They can take it on and they can do that. And of course, uh, with the young ones, you, you know, you do a lot of pole work, small jumps, get them, make sure that they're listening and that they understand the exercise before you can ask, you know, slowly ask a little bit more of them. And I find that if you do your homework, you know, most of the time they go to the show and, and they really want to do the job and they want to perform. But my thing is they, they have to be in good spirits and they, they have to be brave and, and almost a little cocky at times. <laughs> Yeah, well, that makes complete sense, especially for kind of what you're training for specifically. But is there any specific exercises that jump out in your head that you really like to use to kind of lay down those fundamentals in terms of the basics? I know it sounds really simple when you say straight and forward, but everyone who rides horses knows it's not that simple. So yes. there's anything that jumps out to you that you tend to do when you're doing your flat rides or even incorporating jumps in the ride? Yeah, a couple of things I've actually taken from other other trainers uh, along the way that I've really felt make a big difference is, is one is um, years ago, we used to have young riders clinics and everyone who was um, trying out for young riders would do this clinic in April. And one year we had John Madden, DZ Madden's husband come in and do it. And he was incredible. And one thing I learned from him is he used to make us gallop up the long side and then into a halt. So essentially you would, you know, kick them up in front of your leg and get them moving and then to simplify it, check your brakes <laughs> a yeah. little bit. I like to do that a lot with the, with the young one, get them going forward. I, you know, I have no, I like to come through the turn and really gallop them up in front, in front of my leg, in front of my leg. And then you might ask them to come back to the trot and then eventually come back from the canter to the walk and then eventually the canter to the halt. And I find that that then slowly you can introduce a little bit more collection work, you know, and then you're able to put your leg on and, and keep them underneath themselves. But they they get the idea of coming forward to then coming back to you, you know, and start it simple so that they understand it. And then you can slowly, you know, ask more and more of them. And, you know, some days they're they're willing to give you a lot and other days not so much. But with the young ones, even if they give you a little bit, you're making progress, you know, and the next day, maybe you ask for more. Another exercise I love to do, which I think a lot of riders like this one is, I'll set up a line of poles and It'll be three poles and I'll do say the four to the four and then the five to the five or the four to the five um, or the five to the four or the three to the three and change the distance um, how you're catching it. But with the young ones, I always start with I'll canter in, trot the middle one, canter out so that they get the exercise that, you know, they're waiting for you to tell them what to do. And I like to do it sometimes with guide rails so that will help the straightness. And then once they become more understanding and you feel like you're getting somewhere it's a good place to put them on a curve a little bit so you're catching them as if it's a broken line you can work your inside track your you know your direct track you're breaking out in your track and I really like that and I think that that's something that you can do you know many times a week and it's not gonna it's not gonna do too much to them you know the poles on the ground even if you do it only for a few minutes every day it, it helps you uh, helps them gain experience more and more and more Hey guys, I just wanted to take a second of your time to let you know that this episode has been brought to you by Quinn's Equine Poultice. It's a Canadian company and I have used their product 
so many times. And I also have no idea how no one else has come up with this, but it is the holy grail of poultice products. They have two. One is for wrapping your horse's legs and the other is poultice hoof pads. No mess. If you're used to just running around and looking for something to actually cover the poultice with, getting it all over your hands, not having gloves, wanting to do it at the end of the day at the show, having to lug your bucket around and getting it all over your show clothes, whatever it may be, this is the product for you. It's super easy to use. It's affordable and it actually works so well. I've tried and tested it. I just wanted to let you guys know about it. You can go check it out on their website. It's quinsepw.com and I will let you get back to the episode. So do you, are you the type of rider that feels the transition from all of that flat work helps with the jumping and then do you school jumps a lot with the horses in your training program or is it more like once, twice a week? Everybody has a different thing that they do. So I wondered what your take is because there's a bunch of different approaches. So I find with my horses and as well as my students, you know, the, a little bit, it depends what, uh, what they're telling me, you know, of course you set, you set a plan. And a lot of the time before the show, we like to do two jump schools the week before we show, but then maybe a week in between a show, I do a, I do a flat lesson, a pole lesson and a schooling and a jumping lesson. Obviously it depends a little bit in between the shows. You're usually working on things that, you know, at the horse show, you need to isolate something that you need to work on, but working up to a show, I would say with, with my horses, I probably do, I work them on poles once or twice a week and I jump them once a week. Obviously it depends on their fitness as well. You know, sometimes it's not necessarily, I'm not one to jump big. I like to keep things small, uh, but maybe more technical, you know, sometimes, yes, of course you have a horse that in a rider that they need to, they need to practice, you know, a little bit bigger so that they go in the ring feeling confident. Um, but that's sometimes rider specific or horse specific, but I have to, I say, I, I don't jump the horses, you know, meet a meter, meter 10, because you can do a lot, even at that height is still great for them, you know, to just practice and their fitness. And if there's one that maybe needs to get a little bit fitter, then maybe we'll do two lighter schools twice a week prior to a horse show so that they get jumping, they get used to jumping maybe a couple times a week before we go to the show where they're going to have multiple days of, of competing. I find that that's good. And, and one thing I'm really lucky about my facility here at Wingberry is we have a lot of great trails and hills. So if there's a day, I learned this, uh, I should say, throughout last, uh, this past summer with uh, COVID, I did a lot of uh, hill work. And I have to say that my good horse that I have now was probably one of the fittest horses I'd ever ridden. Uh, she'd come to the horse show and we'd do the Grand Prix and she wasn't even huffing and puffing. And I was like, holy, <laughs> I guess I could go jump another class. And I think that that was a good lesson for me to learn that changing up a little bit the routine is also great for them. So, you know, you're constantly learning and, and you're putting new tricks in your hat a little bit. And that was something that from taking a step back, we all had to do last year and that I took a different approach. So a lot of the time with my kids all now, uh, we did it the other day is I'll say, okay, come on, we're coming out to our grass ring out back and we're going to work the hill a little bit and practice with your balance. And it within that was a lesson in itself. Absolutely. Speaking of, you mentioned one of your horses that you have right now. Are there any specific career goals that you have going forward for yourself as a professional rider? So you have a facility, you have clients, you have sales horses and boarders and students, but for you specifically, do you have any ongoing goals that you're working towards? Yes. I, you know, always you, you're 
for a little bit higher competition, higher classes, um, to be, you know, in that competitive, competitive group. And I'm, I'm lucky right now. I have a very interesting, uh, she's now nine, nine-year-old that I got at the end of 2019. So I showed her as a eight-year-old last year, uh, just within Ontario. We, we stuck around this area last year due to obviously COVID and uh, she had a lot of great, great classes. And so my plan is to kind of build with her. I also have a very interesting new uh, five-year-old that I'm I'm pretty excited about. Uh, in a perfect world, I, I'd like to keep my, you know, keep the young ones moving up and keep the, you know, especially that mayor moving forward. Uh, you know, one day I'd love to represent Canada. I'm, I'm lucky in the sense I get to go to Florida, but I would uh, like to put a lot of other shows under my hat. Um, I'd like to get back out to Spruce Meadows. As far as sales go, I'd love to keep going with the sales horses. I get a lot of uh, joy out of buying and selling those, um, whether it's within the barn or, or whatnot. And, you know, my clients, I've got a, I've got a super group right now. A lot of, uh, new ones that came to us and I have to say that they've been fantastic and you know keeping developing riders as well because it's a really the sport's tough you know it's tough and I and I know the deal of of not having financial backing behind you and it is tough and so it's got to be fun and it's trying to give everyone their best shot and one of my biggest goals right now is I'd love to get more involved with the sport and I dabbled a little bit recently but I, I think our sport is becoming tricky for a lot of people and I think that there maybe needs to be some new things happening. I think that uh, Kean White taking over Paul Grave is going to be fantastic. He's always open to new ideas and I'm super excited about that and I that's one thing that I'd like to get involved with is kind of growing the, the, the lower level of the sport so that it funnels through. Yeah, because I think people have discussed for a long time the inaccessibility of those higher levels just because of people not having the financial backing. So yeah, that's wonderful and exciting, especially, I mean, in Ontario, it's like a transformation for us. I wanted to know, going back to the training side of things, and you do, obviously, you have a lot of experience with the Grand Prix and the higher levels in terms of jumpers. So um, I was discussing this the other day with someone, I wondered what you think the biggest difference is that riders really need to establish and have in their skill sets from, you know, schooling those meter, meter 10 jumps versus, you know, doing the meter 30s, meter 40s. What is the marked difference for you? This is a topic that comes up a lot with, with trainers and riders in general is seeing distances, how people get to that point where they're just so accurate with the distances. Of course, I mean, it is a sport of accuracy and in, in, in some sort of a way, right? Like there's so many other factors, of course, but of course, like at the top, top level, like that, you know, some of my favorite riders in, in the world, I watch them and I'm like, oh my God, they're unbelievable. But you know, you, you watch them on the, um, on the younger ones, or you watch them on ones that they're bringing along. And, and I'd have to say that, you know, it, they're still fighting the good fight a little bit. Like, you know, I think a lot of, you know, we all have goals and you, you have a lot of, of people that say like, my goal is to jump in the meter forties at the Royal. That is a fantastic goal. And a lot of people can achieve that. But one of the biggest things is it's, it's work. You have to be fit. Your horse has to be fit. There is a big leap between a lot of divisions, right? And a lot of it is mental. Of course, the kids are, you know, the kids or the students or any rider, you're thinking like, oh, I'm about to jump a bigger class. It might actually be a, an easier track than the class you jumped last week at a lower because that course designer is a little bit, you know, more sophisticated or, or whatever it might be. I would say the biggest difference, of course, yes, you know, you, you have to you have to be accurate, of course, in the distances. But the way I always, Jay always used to say, you got to fight the good fight. 
right? Is that sometimes things happen. Yes, of course, uh, you, you need to be accurate. I'm not saying that, you know, you need to ride the distance, but being positive is probably the biggest thing. And, and you've got to go in there a little bit and you've got to kick and pull and you've got to make things happen. And, you know, if your horse believes you and you believe in your horse, you can only grow from there. Mistakes are going to be made, of course. It's how you go about fixing them. It's how you know, approach that angle of things. But I would say the biggest thing is, in my eyes, yeah, you've got to be a little bit prepared for that because you know you might make an adjustment that worked fine in, in the lower level, but this this level, you know, you've got to ask a little bit more. Part of it, I, I hate to use this word, but you got to be a little tougher. <laughs> I love it. I wasn't even expecting you to say that, but that's such great advice because I think one of the things in the ring with people is that they make a mistake and then they shut down or they stop riding. What you're saying is you get to that point where stuff's going to happen, you know, whether you plan for it or not. And the immediate reaction has to be gearing down and like getting it done. Because yes. I think a lot of people struggle with that. No, that's wonderful advice. Speaking of, you know, your students and coaching, what are the absolute, if you had an ideal student, what fundamental basics would they have down pat? What makes a really, really talented, solid rider? Oh, such a loaded question. Right. Uh, there's, there's so many things, obviously, in the sports some things come easier, easier to some than others, right? Uh, some of us have a tendency to ride a different type of horse better than others. So I would say, honestly, hard work is a big thing. I know that's an overall general thing in this industry, but hard work, they've got to mentally be there as far as like how tough it is, because sometimes you got to take your time. There might be a day that the horse, you know, you've got to be patient. It's a long process. It might not even be a day. I'm talking a year to put it this, you know, put it together. Patience is a big thing. And the understanding, you know, you're not, you're not maybe looking for perfection. You're looking for progress. That's something that they, everybody has to understand. Everybody who's a part of it, you know, the coach, uh, the rider, the parents, you know, some things don't happen overnight and we all love to be successful, but you can be successful in different ways. And they just have to have a bit of an understanding, you know, um, one of my things that I, I notice immediately about most riders, especially when they come to me and, you know, might be a new student or someone who just wants a lesson or whatnot is their hands. And um, that's the first thing my eye always kind of gets drawn to a little bit is how they are with the horse's mouth. That's probably the biggest thing. And that's, I find something that's tricky to, to teach because a lot of that comes from feel. So it's something that that's a big thing that I love to watch riders with, or even listen to other trainers. You know, there's so many trainers, good trainers, especially in my area that I, I might hear a saying and think like, wow, that's a great way of explaining that, you know, or listen and say, wow, like they're, they're getting that reaction from their kid, um, from their student. Uh, and I like that a lot, but that's probably the biggest thing is that they, they have to have a good a good sense of um, what their horse needs and they have to be patient and they have to be a little bit willing for it, but hands and balance are huge for me. That was a really thoughtful answer. And I think it was different than some of the other things that I've heard too, but when you think about it, we always talk about riders' hands. We really do, especially like really famous riders. We always just go, it's their hands. Yeah. It's actually a really great point. Is there anything with your students that you find comes up as a common issue or a wall that you've seen time and time again that that students come up against in their writing 
two things I would say that's a common theme, and I would I would say even with my students, but other students that I see as well, is fitness, as well as if there's a mistake that's made, rather than, you know, shutting down or getting a little bit defeated, being up for the challenge a little bit. And of course, part of that is on the, is on the trainer of how to approach this kid, uh, this student in the sense, is it a push or pull? Or, you know, is it a kid that you're like, come on, you can do this, or someone that you might need to break it down and and take a little bit more time with it. You know, you kind of have to know your kids a little bit to do that. I would absolutely say that fitness is a big thing. And it sounds so silly. I know that. But, you know, if, if you're trying to work on something and you're trying to get better at something, if you're tired, which you will get tired physically riding, absolutely, you're not going to be able to do as good of a job. And a lot of people tend to get frustrated because then more mistakes are made right? Uh, I can't emphasize that enough to people uh, to say like, it doesn't, getting in the saddle and in the tack is so important. Like, you know, I don't care if you want to come up and you want to ride your horse and, and it's a day that you're like, oh man, I'm tired on this and that come up and flat and do something. It's muscle training. Give yourself the best shot. That's something that you can control right? In this sport, there's so many things we can't control. Something that you can control is your fitness. So you want to feel the best when you're on your horse. And, you know, of course your horse needs to be fit, but give yourself the best shot. Yeah, exactly. If mistakes are made, you you have a lot of kids that say like, I don't know if I can do this or they'll, they'll get defeated and, and, you know, they, they can do it, you know, they can do it. And yes, there's going to be different approaches and there's different things that you have to do, but I would find that a lot of them don't have that grit, you know, they, they need to be able to toughen up and say like, I can fix this and we will fix this. And it might be something small or it might be something that needs to take a little bit of time. But uh, that's the biggest thing is I would say is something that's missing is uh, yeah. being tough. And I think as a trainer, it's very easy to see everything start falling apart when people get tired. And the other thing I think that maybe where the big gap is, is, is riders coming to ride obviously outside of lessons and having the the motivation to actually work themselves a little bit when they're on their own, I think is a big gap because that's where, you know, the trainer only has so much control over what you do and how hard you work in the lesson. It's easy, like having a personal trainer in the gym to push yourself and push yourself when someone's there yelling at you. Yeah. I think what differentiates those, those kids and what you said, having the grit, getting on the horse by yourself and actually getting to that point where you're exhausting yourself or winded. But and another thing I wanted to ask you about in mentioning fitness, you mentioned as much saddle time as possible. Is there anything that you do? Do you work out outside of riding? I would, uh, yes, absolutely working out outside the sport. Uh, one of the biggest things I noticed a couple of years ago is um, I was working with a, with a trainer and um, was a rowing machine. I had a horse that's very strong and I would, uh, you know, my position would change as I would get tired trying to slow her down. And then I started working on a rowing machine and it was like a game changer for me and a lot of uh, like even flexibility and stuff like that. And going back to me saying I was hacking and working the hills last summer, I noticed that my horses, of course, they looked better, they felt better. And so I started doing the hills and running the hills a little bit. And I was like, oh my God, all my stability muscles are so much stronger. Like, you know, I was, I was way more balanced because everything was stronger and you know and again that's something that you can control right like you can be watching tv and you can be doing something and okay we all everyone gets lazy (laughs) but of course can make a big a big difference um 
and, and it goes to, you know, then you're maybe a little bit more in tune to your horse's fitness as well. You know, when I, one thing that I'm big on when I'm working out with, with my, with a trainer, with a friend is you're like, Oh, they always say, listen to your breathing, listen to your breathing. And one of my actual best friends is a polo player. And he always used to say to me, listen to your horse's breathing. He said they need to, with the polo ponies, they run them. So he said they have to learn that their lungs expand. Right. So he said, when you're riding, even your hunters or jumpers, he said, listen to them breathing. They have to get used to their lungs expanding. And that was something that I I've really taken to note. And, you know, even through my training, I've listened to my horses and thought like, yeah, it's true. Their breathing's not consistent if if they're not fit. Right. Or you get the ones that are fit and you're like, oh, wow, it's really a, a their breathing is, is in rhythm. And, and that's something just to be intuitive of. You've got to know your horses a little bit in and out, right? Whether it's your horses or, or your students' horses or horses in general, it's just something that I think always uh, enhances the performance. Yeah. What a good point. And, you know, we've never really talked about it on here of listening to your horse's breathing, but when you say it, it just like, oh my gosh, I do that all the time. And it's super interesting too, because of course, polo ponies, they have to be extremely fit. They're running all the time. The question that I'm thinking of as you're talking about that is everybody has different opinions on the environments that higher level horses should be in. So I wanted to ask you a little bit about your farm structure and their turnout and what kind of environment they're in, what you feel works best for those kinds of horses. Because some people like to keep them very cooped up and very bubble wrapped. And in some ways too, that helps with the energy levels when you need a really psychotic athletic horse to do the job versus having horses. Some people have horses that live outside and, and others have four turnout hours or 10. So where do you lie on that spectrum with your barn and your management? I'm, pr- I'm pretty big on uh, a horse obviously needs to be a horse, right? And I a little bit let the horses tell me what they need. I'm pretty meticulous about my grain and the feed program. Like I do that all myself as far as what they eat, how much they will eat, the ordering of it, everything. So for me, that that's a big part of it as well. But I'm pretty big on if they need to be out of their stalls as much as possible whether it's walking we have a a hot walker at our barn which we're so lucky to have it's a covered hot walker so they go on it rain or shine because they're under a, a roof they'll walk her once to twice a day they'll be ridden every day six days a week Mondays they're off they go out in the paddock we have beautiful paddocks so we're pretty lucky in that sense but I'm very big on they have to get out of their stalls so you know if they're if they're drying take them for grass let them eat outside. If, if they're out in the paddock and they want to come in, they come in. There's let them tell you what they want. You know, if you've got one that likes to be out all day, great. As long as it's got water out there and fly spray and a fly mask on and boots, maybe it's happy out there all day. So I'm pretty happy uh, to let a horse be a horse. But that being said, you know, of course, as the horses get higher up in competition, a little bit of, you know, a little bit of something else. A lot of my, uh, my good horses, I sometimes ride them twice a day. It'll be two lighter rides, but I'll do twice a day. So I might ride them first thing in the morning while it's quite cool and let them be a little frisky. Maybe they'll go outside middle of the day. And then at the end of the day, I'll get them back on and I'll do a light ride and a half or something like that. But if I only ride them once a day, then they'll go on the walker and as well as outside. So every horse has a little bit of a specific program. I'm pretty big on, I like to get the horses out of their stall as early as possible, you know, let them eat, let them eat their hay get them out, get them moving, you know, great for their stomach, great for everything. But, uh, you know, they're in their boxes a lot of the time and let them be, let a horse be a horse a little bit. 
Yeah, that's awesome. You mentioned that you do all of your own nutrition with your horses. I wondered if you could speak a little bit on that, what you find works best in terms of, I know every single horse is very different in their needs and what they are requiring, but if you want to maybe just do like a contrast between your highest level horses that you have versus ones that are in training, but they're younger. And So I would say uh, if horses have good hay, I mean, this is like any trainer, if they have good hay, then you, they're getting a lot of weight put on that way. So I would say that of course the more work that they do you tend to feed them maybe a little bit more um, the hunters obviously are always a little bit rounder <laughs> you know depending on how fit they are is of course how much they will they'll get fed and of course their weights yeah I would say that's a big thing I mean at the end of every month I kind of look at my feed board and I look at my horses and say am I happy with their weight um, am I happy with their energy level right? Like you have some that might be, might be super frisky and yeah, it might be the weather, but you might be like, Oh, we need to put them on a little bit of a lower percentage of whatever type grain. And that's something I think that, again, that's something that you can, you can be in charge of and you can pay attention to, and it can make a huge difference. I mean, everyone likes their horses to look good, right? So I'm big on, um, using a lot of natural things like they all get flax and they all get oil and that type of stuff that's easy and 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 they all benefit from it I would have to say you know our horses that don't do much and maybe you're on a lower level of competition or moving and working they're not going to get fed as much because they're not doing as much and burning as much every day. Again, here I am going off topic, but I wanted to ask if you wouldn't mind letting everyone know like what you're, I know it's really hard right now because we are in oh, another lockdown in Ontario. It's different and it has been the last year, but typically what is your day schedule, daily routine look like for you personally? As far as in-barn stuff, if we're at the home farm, we start at 7 a.m. We usually feed, get the barn started. I'll ride anywhere from three to seven horses a day, depending on how many lessons I have. We might have some lessons in between the day. There's some nights for the kids after school. I'll teach until 7.30. So it's a full day, you know. We have, depending on days that the vet has to pop in or chiropractor, stuff like that, that a little bit varies but normally speaking I try and be on my first horse around 7 30 at 8 a.m I always get my first one ready throughout the day you know you kind of just keep ticking along a little bit usually on the days that I want to school horses I'll plan to have less horses on my ride list because that then it takes a little bit more time and you can spend time on them rather than trying to kind of horses in one day of course and then usually on uh, Mondays is the day that uh, we don't ride but I usually pop in the barn make the grain I check on all the horses do a quick look around make sure that they're all good the staff's good but yeah I would say I mean every day you're riding and teaching absolutely and a little bit of everything else in between Tuesdays we usually Tuesdays or Wednesdays I usually set my courses up Sundays we tear the ring down we move all the jumps outside you know so that we can drag the ring for the Monday yeah. so you know some of it is a bit of a routine and then of course, all the other stuff, you know, plans change, there's trials, stuff like that. You kind of have to roll with the punches, but some things we try and keep pretty consistent. Yeah. So full-time two, four, seven job. Yeah. Yeah. And really quickly before I move on and I, I've been keeping you, but do you, for your lessons, if you just have private clients with their own horses, essentially competitive clients, yeah. Do you usually do private lessons or do you do groups? And what are, what is your thoughts on the private versus the group lessons um, in general? So I switch it up a lot of the time. I think privates obviously are great to work one-on-one, -on -one, of course. I think groups are fantastic because for so many reasons, for the 
The greener kids, you learn to ride with other riders in the ring and with the traffic. And that can be very intimidating when you go to the horse show, right? And all of a sudden you're like, whoa, the schooling ring is jam-packed. You know, it's great for the kids to learn how to deal with that. I also think that groups are fantastic, whether it might be a two people in a group or four people in a group to watch. You know, I love to make them do a course. And then after the first person goes, I'll say, you know, whoever goes next. And did they, did they learn from that person before how the lines are going to ride? You know, did they take notice of my horse has a bigger stride and she got down that line really early. So that line's going to be very tight for me because, you know, at the show, that's what you do, right? You watch the people ahead of you and watch the people ahead of you. And you try and see how the track rides, the ring rides, everything. And then you put it to play for you. And you can do that in a group lesson, which I think is fantastic. And I think uh, it's, it's great to ride while people are watching you too. Same thing, right? That's always at the horse shows. You can learn. And, you know, sometimes you, ha you have to learn to go first in an order. There's no, you're put first in that posted order and there's no change of plans, right? If you're in your group lesson and I make you go first, you get used to that. But the one-on-one -on -one I think is also fantastic because exactly you're, you're, you're really isolating something, you know, specifically what that horse and rider needs. So I think there's pros and cons to both. I personally like to switch it up. We'll do a little bit of both each week. And, and I'd have to say, I don't think there's one that's better than the other. And personally coming from a barn, you know, Penny Murray, where there was like, you know, we always had kids there and it was so much fun. I used to love my group lessons because, you know, it's a social aspect as well. And it was fun watching other people, right? Like, you know, and at the end of the year, you're like, wow, they improved so much. And that's a big part of it too. And I think everybody's kind of missing that camaraderie in the barn with COVID this last year. It's been tough for everyone to be together, but that's, those are all great points. So one of the questions I had was, do you feel that there are any possible barriers for people aspiring to have careers in the equestrian industry? And do you have any advice for riders that are hoping to make, you know, their passion into some kind of career, whether it be, you know, there's a lot of different avenues that they can take, but yeah. I just wanted, wondered if you could speak on that a little bit in your opinion. Yes. I mean, I think the biggest thing that everybody's aware of, and it's the elephant in every room is the, is the financial cost of it. You know, if it's expensive to, it's ex the sport or love, shall I say, is expensive in every aspect, right? So that's a huge barrier. And, and myself, I, I know that. And I think my advice, to, whenever anyone asks me or, or I talk to my friends or my colleagues or whatnot, and we just it quite often is uh you know get as much experience as you can you know go go and work for go and work for those people and 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 get as much experience as you can and create good relationships with people because i think we all in a way need to help each other out a little bit and uh and people do you know like i've been extremely lucky for people who have helped me over the years and, and i've been very lucky and a lot of great things have come out of that and i couldn't be more thankful and i think that that's a big thing is you know get that experience and yeah there's going to be some days that you're like oh my god God, why am I doing this? This is so hard, but it is worth it. And, uh, you know, th those will go a long way. The connections will go a long way and the experience will go a long way. And, and, you know, you only gain knowledge from it. And every day you're learning something new. You know what I mean? And I think never stop learning, of course, especially in this sport and let the horses teach you. But that would be my biggest thing is just gain experience. And depending on what avenue you want to go to, you know, whether you want to look more towards training uh, or whether you want to go towards more towards sales or the competition, it maybe depends which route you want to go for what type of job you're looking for. Like you said, there's so many different jobs in this industry, which is fantastic. But exactly like if you're big into horse sales, you know, 
try and go work for someone that's a sales barn and really emphasize how they do it, why they do it, what they do. Um, if you're looking for someone who's more, if you want to be a competitor, you know, maybe that's more of a route you want to go to. And I think that that's something you need to sit down. You're never going to have a place and you're never not going to learn something. But I think that that's a good way of looking at it is learn an avenue that you like and maybe go somewhere that really is is big on that. Yeah, for sure. You mentioned a, a couple of these as we were talking, but you've obviously ridden with a lot of really renowned riders. And when you're thinking about those mentors and those coaches, is there anything that they, any piece of advice that they've given you that's really stuck with you or something they said to you, or of course, in your style, something you've observed and, and kept with you the whole time throughout your riding career? Absolutely. I think there's a big thing from uh, all of them that I've learned. I even know off the top of my head, I think I say it to myself daily. Penny was always the horses come first as far as, you know, their health and their well-being that uh, you, you're always going to do what's best best for the horse. And I, and I always stick by that. Um, I'm lucky that the people that I work with, we all agree on that. So that's pretty big as far as she goes. Jay, uh, he definitely taught me to be tough and that the, you know, that this is hard work. And I, he always said to me, you know, I'd be happy because you kind of, you know, maybe you want a good class and you're excited. And he would always say, you're only as good as your next class. That's something I've always taken to heart. And yeah, you might be like, okay, great. I had a good day. But then you come back to the, to home and you go back to the drawing board, you know, I mentioned this earlier, fight the good fight. Two things, Beth and the Hendricks. Beth, uh, my opinion is she never goes anywhere unprepared. So that's something I really try and incorporate myself and to trust your gut, which is probably something that is so big in with horses, with your training, with your, with your competition, everything is to trust your gut. And that's something that she's a big believer in. And I think that that goes a really long, long way. And one thing I took from the Hendricks is Paul Hendricks said this to me. He said, um, we were talking about a horse and a vetting. And I said, Oh, I talked to so-and-so. And he said, you can talk to a million people and they're all going to have different opinions. You have to do what's best for you and what feels Feels right. And at the end of the day, I think that that's, that's so true, right? Is that you have to do what feels right. And, you know, some things work out and some things don't, but at least, you know, you kind of, you, you did what you, you thought was right at that time and in that moment or for that situation. And most of the time it works out. And that's what makes this sport so addicting and interesting is because you're always back to the drawing board. Like you said, like, no matter what you do, you're going to have problem solving pretty much. Yeah, constantly. Oh, that's such fantastic advice. I mean, I really appreciate you taking the time to answer all these questions because they were so well thought out and so valuable for everybody listening. Um, I you. appreciate it. And uh, I, I wish you, it was so nice to virtually meet you <laughs> and I wish you all the best. Awesome. Thank you so much. This was awesome. And I think it's incredible that you're doing it. Yeah, I really appreciate you touching base with me. Hello, lovely. If you are still here listening, first of all, thank you. I really appreciate your listenership. If you've listened to this entire episode, I don't know what you were doing, but thank you. I really appreciate it. And please contact me and let me know you listened to it, what you liked, what you didn't like, because I'm really interested to know. I also have a little surprise for you. If you are one of my regular listeners, you'll know this, but I have a 5% off discount at madbarn.com. They are an equine nutrition company. I use a lot of their products for our horses. And um, if you want to just use the code SPRINGINEC, how it's spelt on the website and Instagram, you can get your 5% off. And they also have a spin to win promotion going on right now where you can get more than that off. So go check it out. Even if you're not shopping, super awesome resource for all things equine nutrition. Anyways, I hope you have an awesome day. Thanks for listening and I'll see you on the next episode.